I had a family member who was in the hospital and things weren't going that great. And the doctor was making his rounds and uh, I guess he could read that we were a little bit discouraged. So he asked a question. He said, are you guys Christians? And I said, well, yeah, in fact, I'm a pastor. He said, well, I'm a Christian too. So let me tell you about prayer. He said, when I first gave my life to God, I prayed all the time and almost everything I prayed about, the answer came. And I was like, this is amazing. Every time I pray, the answer I want comes. But as time went on, I recognized that that's not how life works. Because if every prayer was answered in this life the way we want them to, and then there would never be problems. There would never be adversity. And so this doctor went on to say, as my faith matured, I realized that God is the one who decides. We pray, but he's the one who decides. Then he recommended a restaurant for me to go try out. He said, man, you need to get out of this hospital. And there's a restaurant down the street. He told me about it. He said, why don't you go to the restaurant? And I did. No surprise, I don't turn down a good food recommendation. But as I was on my way to that restaurant, I felt a little more human. Like I didn't have to be this super pastor who always prayed the exact right words to make something happen. That I was someone in relationship with God and I could trust in my friendship with God even when I don't like how things are going. Yahweh is not our wish list generator. He is not a genie in a bottle. God, Yahweh, is not a force and he is not an energy. Yahweh is our God with a personality, intelligence, and a will. And so we pray to him. We pray to his personality, we pray to his intelligence, and we pray to his will. So today I want to try to tackle a very difficult subject, uh, to use an appropriate metaphor for today, and that's disappointment in prayer. Disappointment in prayer. I'm hoping to give to you the sermon that you usually don't hear when people talk about prayer. Because we do get disappointed in prayer. But when we understand that we pray to submit to him, he does not submit to us. There's three applications, there's three um, observations about God I want to give you today. I'm going to give you three observations about God, but I'm also going to give you um, three applications on how we can respond to God. So here's God's role in prayer. Here's the first thing God is able. And I want, I want you to have that type of faith. Put that first slide up. God is able. He is the God who can do the impossible. God is the God who can step in. God is the creator, so nothing under his realm is beyond his influence. And so we pray because in this relationship of prayer, we have a God who is not limited, but he's able to do what he's promised that he would do. He is able to step in. He is able to get involved. So our first scripture today, let's go to Jeremiah 
chapter 32. And it's going to be verse 27. I gave you the wrong reference. So it's going to be verse 27. So you can take that scripture off. And that is completely my fault. Jeremiah 32, verse 27. Listen, because only those of you with physical Bibles will be able to get here right now. We won't have time. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Now here's the question. Is there anything too hard for me? Wow, I got to say, that's an impressive media team right there. <laughs> I could have just played it cool and they, you never would have known. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. And here's the question. Is there anything too hard for me? And guys, listen, I want you to hear this today. The reason what we sing worship songs, the reason we gather and we gather here in the name of Jesus and we have the sacraments and we look at the scripture, it's to build our holy faith so that we can keep looking to a God who can do anything. Our God, there is nothing too difficult for him. He can He can move in ways we can't even imagine. And so we live with this possibility that we pray in faith and we pray in expectation because God can do what we can't do. You know, even something like a service that we have 52 of them a year, we pray and say, Holy Spirit, take this message, take this song, take this love and do in people's hearts what we can't do ourselves. You know, I can't. I can't construct a speech that can change a heart. I, I can't do that. I can just present to you God's word and I pray about it and I think about it. But what occurs is this, is the Holy Spirit of God. He comes and he makes a message fresh so that someone in this section and someone watching online and someone over in this section hears the same words but the Holy Spirit does a unique work. That is the work of God. There is nothing impossible for our God. Our God heals diseases. Our our God topples governments. Our God intervenes into those who have hardened their hearts to the gospel. And he does the impossible. And so we live in that world, that world of expectation. And one of the great things I love about being a pastor is I hear stories upon stories about how God has worked in his people. And I get this front row seat, you know, something that as our church develops, we want to do a better job of giving testimonies and getting video testimonies. And we're moving that direction because there's so many stories we capture that you don't get to hear, but we want you to hear more of them, of them because our God is able. Now, we, we follow sports. There's some kind of sporting event going on today. You may be aware of it. You may not. But in this sporting event, uh, people cheer. And the question is, does our cheering make a difference? And, and it, I think in some cases it does. Sometimes the quarterback can't hear the signal. And sometimes you can just feel the momentum of a stadium. Or you can feel the team's spirits lift and they play with more precision, more enthusiasm, more focus. And so we cheer a team on and it sometimes helps. Because when it comes to a cheering section, we don't cheer God along. Like he doesn't need a cheering section to accomplish his work and his will. 
Um, His power is contained in who he is. And so it doesn't increase by our cheering. And so we pray for us, we don't pray for him. He will accomplish what he wants to accomplish with us or without us. This is God and this is who he is. He does not need us, but we need him. And so if we don't pray for our services, we take pride in our services. If we don't pray for our nation, we take pride in our nation. If we don't pray for our children, then we think that it is my ability and my parenting skills. If we don't pray for our marriages, we think, well, I'm just such a, I'm just such a romantic Casanova. She have her wrapped around my finger. And we don't remember, it's a miracle that she's still with me. <laughs> Praise the name of the Lord. God's role in prayer is God is able, but number two, God intervenes. God intervenes. Not only does he have this ability, he has this involvement. The kingdom of God is consistently breaking into the natural realm. We have the supernatural work of God because the natural limitations The supernatural is beyond the natural limitations. And so we see God moving in a supernatural way. And the story of the Bible, the story of scripture is God's intervention. From the very beginning, from his walk in the garden, all the way through until the book of Revelation, God's always stepping in. God is always intervening. God is always getting active with his people. So we're part of a long story of God's involvement. So we live with this wonder that God can and will step in. The same God who did it for Abraham, who did it for Moses, the same God who stepped in for Esther, the same God who stepped in and and converted Paul and moved through the preaching of Peter is the same God who's alive today in 2023. And so we live with wonder and possibility that the way things have been won't be the way they will always be because God is intervening and he's jumping in and he's paying attention to us. Jeremiah 33, chapter 33, verse two and three, it says it this way. The Lord who made the earth, the Lord, Yahweh, who forms it to establish it, the Lord is his name, says this. Now you're gonna be encouraged by this. Verse three, call to me and I will answer you. And tell you great and incomprehensible things you do not know. That's one of the first scripture references I ever memorized. Because before texting, we were on the phone all the time. Put that back up for a second. And uh, they said, hey, God's phone number, Jeremiah 33.3. I can remember that. First scripture reference. So if you need to be encouraged, just remember, Jeremiah 33.3. Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and incomprehensible things you do not know. This is God intervening with special knowledge, special insight, special understanding. He's going to give you insight into your business. He's going to give you insight into the customer. He's going to give you insight into your parent's heart or your child's heart. He's going to give you insight into that subject you're struggling with. Yes, God cares about getting your C to a B. 
Call upon him. Study and then call upon him. Call upon him when you study, as you study. This is our God who's involved. I shared this scripture last week, but I want to intentionally share it again. Isaiah 64, verse 4 says it this way. From the ancient times, no one has heard, no one has listened to, no no eye has seen any God except you who acts on behalf of the one who waits for him. Guys, this is what builds our faith, scriptures like this, stories like this, the testimony of God's people, that we are people who wait upon the Lord. We are people who find God's heart for the situation, find God's perspective. We are people who pray with expectation and we pray with faith. And here's what happens. When we wait on God, we see God. That's why prayer is important. Like prayer gives us natural pauses, whether it's a time of the day or whether it's a moment before a conversation. When we pray, we have a natural pause to include God. And when we wait upon the Lord, we see the Lord. When we rush and we are impulsive and we don't include the Holy Spirit, we don't see the work of the Lord. Prayer helps us see. Prayer helps us see the Lord. A prayerless life is blind to the intervention of God. People who don't pray just don't see God. They don't see God in the conversation. They don't see God in the circumstance. They don't see God in the adversity. They don't see God in the success. But when we pray, we begin to see the Lord is with us in all things. When I start praying to God, I start seeing God. Prayer really is about positioning. As I mentioned earlier, do we control God or does God control us? What prayer does, it doesn't doesn't control God and make God submit to our will. As Jesus was our example in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, God, not my will but your will be done. So in prayer, we continue to position position ourselves under the Lordship of Christ. And this brings me to the third and very important point of this day is what is God's role in prayer? God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And all people who have read the Bible understand at some level the sovereignty of God. Some churches emphasize the sovereignty of God to a different degree or the other. And this is when now prayer starts to get complicated. Because when you really start thinking about about prayer and studying prayer, it touches every theological concept, every theological framework, every philosophical um, angle on who God is. That's why this isn't just a safe prayer. I love the sermons on the acronyms of prayer. Those are all good and helpful. But, But... on the big questions of life, you have to think a little further, longer, and deeper. What is the sovereignty of God? Here's a good definition of the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God is his absolute right to do all things according to his will. The sovereignty of God is his absolute right to do all things according to his will. I love that about God, and I'm frustrated 
about that with God. I know it's true. I know that God is sovereign. And sometimes that's really helpful to me. And sometimes that's really frustrating to me. So I am wrestling and will wrestle with until the day I see Jesus, the sovereignty of, the sovereignty of God, that it fills me with wonder and awe and amazement. And then it takes me off sometimes. The sovereignty of God. He does all things according to his will. So how do we respond to that? What is our role in prayer? Now I'm going to give you three kind of pragmatic applications to this, in my opinion. Here's our role in prayer. Number one is this. Pray as long as we can. Pray as long as we can. Keep praying as long as you're able to pray. Jesus taught us that. Jesus was quite a storyteller, by the way. If you read the Gospels, he just told stories all the time. He was a very pragmatic preacher. I'm not sure if Jesus would pass seminary preaching classes, but, but he did touch the hearts of people as God himself. So he, he told a lot of stories. Setting up one of those stories, he said this in Luke 18.1. We won't read the story today, but we want to read the setup. Luke 18.1. Now he told them a parable, a story, on the need for them to pray always and not give up. And he talks about um, a widow who went before a king. But we won't, we won't look at all of that today. You can read that later this afternoon. I want you to see intent here. Jesus said, I want to tell you the story because I don't want you to give up on prayer. So as maybe you've perceived, I've thought a lot about prayer. I've read a fair amount about prayer. I've preached a lot of sermons on prayer. I've written on prayer. In fact, my book is available in the lobby. No, I'm just joking. That's not true. <laughs> and the more I've interacted with prayer, the more complex it's, it's become. So let me now, how I simplify it. I'm going to pray as much as I can, as long as I can. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray as much as I can, as long as I can. And pastorally, what that means is work with people and work with families. I'm going to read what God is doing in their hearts. And I'm going to pray with them until the very last moment that the Lord releases them. And I'm going to pray in faith. I'm going to pray in authority. I'm going to pray in power. Nobody wants weak, doubt-filled, compromising, half-baked prayers. I mean, who wants someone to show up at the hospital or down here at the prayer time or in the home and say, oh, God, if you could, maybe if it's your will, we'd kind of like you to heal this person. I mean, who wants a prayer like that? Man, no, I want to go for the enemy. I want to punch him in the nose. In the name of Jesus, the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in this person. I say, rise up in Jesus' name. And I want to pray with faith. I want to pray with authority. I want to pray with all of my energy, all of my theology, all of my perspective. I want to give everything I can in that prayer. And then, when it's no longer time to pray, I want to trust the sovereignty of God. Sometimes that's when the situation is closed. Sometimes that is when death happens. 
Sometimes that is when people have said, I think the Lord's calling me home. They don't want a prayer for healing because they sense from the Holy Spirit their time has come. It's different for every person. It's different for every situation. But the point I'm trying to make is we don't have to reconcile all of these complexities in that moment of prayer. We've got to rest upon the stories in the Gospels and the stories in the book of Acts and the stories we have from our brothers and sisters we're in church and say, I'm going to pray with everything I have, with all the faith that I have, because I know my God is able and I know my God intervenes and I know my God is sovereign, so I don't even have to be scared that my words don't come true because I'm trusting in him, not trusting in myself. That's why one of the theological concepts that I talk about a lot, I got several, I preached a sermon several times, is the already not yet kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is already here. Jesus inaugurated the kingdom of God. Jesus changed everything. The kingdom is fully here, but it's not already fully implemented. So all will be healed. Many in this life all in the life to come. And so we command sickness and we command disease to retreat and we speak to cancer and we speak to things that are a manifestation of a sinful world and we command them in the name of Jesus to lead because our God is able and our God can intervene and we trust the sovereignty of God all along. Which leads to my second response that I've already touched on is number two, is we have to recognize God's sovereignty. Recognize God's sovereignty. Now, I struggled with this point in phrasing it. First, I said we have to accept God's sovereignty. Well, that's true, but I still don't like that word always because there's some things I just can't accept. I just can't accept some things that happen. I can't expect when life ends early. I can't accept abuse. I can't accept some things. There's there's some things I want to talk to the Lord about someday in heaven. It's just hard to accept. I said rest in God's sovereignty. Well, that might work out too for some of us, but sometimes it's not restful. Sometimes I'm not resting. Sometimes I rest in God's sovereignty and sometimes I'm agitated with God's sovereignty. Reconcile God's sovereignty. That's another point that I wrote And I thought, well, that, there's some things in life you just don't ever reconcile. We're going to go into heaven with some whys. So I settled with this, recognize God's sovereignty. Because I can recognize God's sovereignty and not be happy about it. There are some Psalms right about in the middle of your Bible that I like to call the angry Psalms. And sometimes you just need to find the angry Psalms. I'm like, yeah, God, I felt the way he felt back then when he sang this song. That's being honest with God. And you can respect God and and recognize his sovereignty without reconciling all of those emotions. And one of the reasons I felt like this was an important message for our church is for the culture of our church. Some people who are a little ticked at God right now are frustrated with God have some of the greatest faith I've ever seen. Just because all of your emotions are not aligned with God doesn't mean you're not aligned with God. Because we can trust who he is 
even when, when we don't understand why he's worked in the way he has. I want us to turn to Romans chapter 9. I'm going to share with you a complex scripture that will make you, make you think all day. But we're going to start with verse 18. And this scripture is talking about the salvation of the Jews and the salvation of the Gentiles. But I feel like it, I know it speaks to the sovereignty of God. And it can be applied to submitting prayers to God. Romans chapter 9, chapter nine starting with verse 18. So you see, God chose to show mercy to some and he chose to harden the hearts of others so they refused to listen. Well, then you might say, why does God blame people for not responding? Haven't they simply done what he makes them do? No, don't say that. And here, here's the heart of the scripture I want you to get at. Who are you, a mere human being, to argue with God? Should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, why have you made me like this? When a potter makes jars out of clay, doesn't he have a right to use some lump of clay to make one jar for decoration and another to, to throw garbage into? In the same way, even though God has a right to show his anger and his power, he's very patient with those on whom his anger falls who are destined for destruction. He does this to make the riches of his glory shine even brighter on those to whom he shows mercy, who were prepared in advance for glory. Now, this is one of those passages that standing alone without the full scope of scripture, it brings up a lot of thoughts and questions. The application I want you to make for this message is this, is the position of God. When we understand and recognize his sovereignty, we recognize that we have to submit to what he's allowed or hasn't allowed, even when it's unpreferable. Hey, that's not like the most fun thing to tell someone in a teaching, but I'm telling you that because that's how I've worked it out in my life, and I love you guys, and I want you to have something that resembles an answer. It's not a answer, but it resembles an answer. There's a, another theological concept a lot of us work in. You may want to write this down. It's called open theism. Open theism. That's something that I don't believe in. I don't believe Romans 9 teaches that. Open the, theism is this. Theism is God, right? It's a God who can do all things but does not know the future. Wow. I didn't know I'd get that response from everybody. So, we, so for those of you who are watching on, you didn't hear, there was some gasp in the crowd. The God who knows all things but doesn't know the future. Okay, even though some of you gasped, I want to say something. We may not believe that positionally, but we often live that way. We, we often live, when, when outcomes come, we're like blaming, blaming ourselves or even blaming our prayers. And y'all see how complex this gets. Does God, does God work in our timeline? Does he see everything happening at once? The point is this, is functionally, I think a lot of the church operates in open theism as if we control the future. But we continue to submit to God no matter what. 
the outcome comes. Tough message, isn't it? But it's a real life. So the book of Job. I kind of groan internally when the time of year comes for me to read the book of Job in my Bible reading. Because I love the first two chapters and I love the last chapter. But there's about 40 chapters that are a little tough to get through. But I've read Job a lot. And it's maybe the oldest book in the Bible. And it's speaking to the oldest questions of humanity. Why, why do some people suffer? And at the end of the book, we don't really get the nice, clean, tidy answer we want. We get this call to remember our creator and, and to live this life in relationship with God. Dallas Willard is a late philosopher at USC, but a godly man, a credible Christian thinker. And here was his comments on the book of Job. It helped me. I hope it helps you. It's noteworthy, it's noteworthy that when Job finally stood before God, he was completely satis satisfied and at rest. Though not a single one of his questions about his sufferings had been answered. His questions were good questions. He did not sin in asking them. But look at this. But in the light of God himself, they were simply pointless. They just drop away and lose their interest. What an incredible interpretation of the ending of Job. And I'd like to think that's how it's going to be for our lives too. That there are some questions and disappointments in prayer will carry into eternity. And that's not a sin and that's not wrong. And I don't know if we'll instantly have the answer because we have this incredible knowledge from the Lord. I don't know if we're going to sit down and have a coffee with God and talk it out, but likely it'll be when we see perfection and holiness, those questions just kind of fade off because of the greatness of who our God is. And that is how we can respond. Here's number three, keep looking beyond, keep looking beyond, look beyond the troubles of today. Look beyond the limitations and disappointments of today. Because, guys, we are heaven-bound people. Eternity has started here on this earth when we gave our life to Jesus. And we will live forever because of Jesus. That's why in the book of Colossians, chapter 3, starting verse 1, it says it this way. Since you've been raised to new life with Christ... Set your sights on the realities of heaven. Where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Verse 2. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of the earth. For you died to this life. And your real life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share and all his glory. God has put eternity in your heart. That's why you don't want to die because you never will die. We're going to live forever and ever and ever. And if that seems like, oh man, I don't want to live forever. Well, find Jesus in his abundant life and work towards that 
wife of Jesus, the Zoe life, the abundant life, working out in your life today. Don't set your sights on wealth, pleasure, power, adrenaline, status, romance. Those can all be gifts of God, but don't set your sights on them. Keep looking to the realities of heaven. Keep looking beyond. And then your disappointments in prayer will lead you to the one you're going to see. And you'll realize that he, he will make all things well. And that's what we can trust.